The following is a sermon that was preached at Good News Lutheran Church in Mount Horeb, Wisconsin. It was preached on Sunday, December 20th, 2020, on the basis of Luke 1, verses 26 through 38. For more information or to view our entire sermon library, visit goodnewslc.org. Thank you for listening. This past year has certainly proven that many things in our lives are much more fragile than we thought they were. Included in that list is something that maybe wouldn't immediately come to mind and yet shouldn't be overlooked. Namely, I'm talking about our our national societal level of trust. Granted, it's, it's fair to say that trust wasn't doing all that well heading into 2020. Maybe we could even picture it as a, a beautiful, delicate Christmas ornament that, that fell to the ground and dented and cracked a little bit, but somehow, just hanging on by a thread, managed to stay intact. But even if that was the case, then 2020 came along, and like a size 13 steel-toed work boot just crushed that trust to smithereens. We have seen the loss of a great deal of trust in, for example, our elected leaders and medical experts and even our entire democratic process and in news outlets and social media platforms. And don't be fooled into thinking that it's just a loss loss of trust in, in some of those things or in one side of those things. For a lot of people, maybe even you included, it's a loss of trust in, in all of them. For example, picture for a moment if suddenly tomorrow morning there was going to be a press conference. And on stage at the press conference, there was going to be both Donald Trump and Joe Biden, both House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and Senate Leader Mitch McConnell, Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey, Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg, and just to top it all off, of course, we would need Dr. Anthony Fauci. And just imagine for a moment if all of those people up on stage somehow by some miracle, agreed with one another. They all said exactly the same thing. No matter what it was about, it could be about the election, it could be about the pandemic, or the vaccine, or the economy, or the environment, you name it, let's say they all agreed. Would you believe them? I think for a lot of people, the only honest answer, maybe you included, the only honest answer would be, well, it depends. It depends on what they would say. But that's kind of the opposite of trust, isn't it? Trust means believing what someone says because of who they are, not believing someone on the basis of what they happen to say. And trust is vital in a society like ours. For people to live in communities and countries like we do, there needs to be a certain level of trust. And yet as 2020 draws to a close, it seems as though trust is in very short supply. And maybe that's not entirely a bad thing when you consider the fact that it highlights the importance of one more thing that God would want us to have on our Christmas wish list this year. One more thing that he would want us to seek from him. One more thing that he would want us to look for from him that nothing, not even a year like ours, can possibly shatter or destroy. One more thing that would give us an un breakable Christmas. Yes, we have seen just how quickly trust in elected officials and medical experts and news outlets can shatter, but our trust in God 
never will. God is always reliable. God is always trustworthy. Because of what we know about who God is, we can trust him no matter what he says. In fact, as we look at these verses from Luke chapter 1 this morning, we're going to see why we can trust whatever God says, even when it sounds like gibberish. And I feel like I should warn you, it will often sound like gibberish. The words that God speaks in these verses are delivered to a woman named Mary by an angel named Gabriel. And really, every word that Gabriel says sounds like pure nonsense. First of all, what God says through Gabriel contradicts everything that we think we know about power. The big idea of Gabriel's message to Mary is that God was going to send a king to his people. Not just any king, that king that you heard about in 2 Samuel chapter 7. A great king, a glorious king, a king who would sit on David's throne and a king who would reign forever. There was just one problem, however. It had been a full thousand years since God had made that promise to David. And as Vicar mentioned last week, in those intervening thousand years, there had been four consecutive kingdoms that had risen as the dominant world power. Each and every one was more powerful than the last. Each and every one made it seem less and less likely that any semblance of power would ever be restored to Israel. And now, now at a time when Caesar Augustus, maybe the most powerful man who ever lived in history, was sitting on his throne in Rome, now God says that he's going to send his people a king. God wanted his people to trust that promise of a king, even though what God said contradicted everything that they thought they knew about power. In fact, it still does. Of course, the king that God was promising was in fact our Savior Jesus. And of course, Jesus still reigns as our king. And yet he does so in a way that is completely unexpected. For example, Jesus is hands down the most popular ruler who has ever lived. Right now, even today, billions of people all across the world pledge their undying allegiance to King Jesus. And yet how has Jesus used that popularity? Never once has he used it to hold any official earthly public office. Also, right here, right now today, billions of people all across the world obey Jesus. They follow his laws. They do what he says. And yet all of those laws are enforced without a single piece of official legislation and without any sort of threat of fine or imprisonment or anything else as punishment for disobedience. Right now, as King Jesus rules, he has defeated all of his enemies. He has brought victory to his people, and yet he has done so, and he continues to do so without any show of force, without tanks, without missiles, without nukes, instead through a show of weakness and defeat. He allows his enemies to seemingly run wild in our world, to do whatever they want to do. He uses their best efforts to bring about their undoing. God wants us to trust him when he tells us that Jesus is our king, even though what God says contradicts everything we think we know about power. It also contradicts everything we think we know about merit. 
As I mentioned, Gabriel went and delivered this message to a woman named Mary. You've heard of Mary before, right? Mary, the mother of of Jesus. Of course you've heard of her. Second to Jesus, she might be the most well-known character in all of the Bible. Now, it wouldn't have been that way had God not chosen her for this special honor. Out of all the thousands of unwed women in all the hundreds of cities and villages in Israel, God sending Gabriel to just about any one of them would have made more sense than God sending Gabriel to Mary. God didn't send Gabriel to the palace or to the temple or to the capital city or even to any city, really. He sent Gabriel to a village so small, so puny, so insignificant that Luke actually had to explain to his readers where it was located. It was Nazareth up in Galilee. Why there and why to this woman? Well, the answer is found in a word that Gabriel uses twice with Mary. Gabriel says that Mary has found favor with God. That's the word where we get our word for grace. That's the only explanation for why Mary was chosen for this special honor. There was nothing about her that made her deserving of it. She had no wealth. She had no status. She had no power or prestige or fame or reputation or virtue that made her the deserving choice. It was only by God's grace. And so God wanted Mary to believe that she had been chosen for this honor, even though what God was saying contradicted everything that she knew about merit. And again, it still does. Obviously, the honor that that God chose Mary for was unique to her, unique in all of human history. But make no mistake, God still has plenty of honor to go around to you and me. God confers on us the status of being his children, of being sons and daughters, of being heirs, people who have been written into his will and are standing in line to receive an eternal inheritance. I could go on and on about the honor that God has conferred on each of us and chosen for each of us. But why? What explains that? Contrary to what we might be tempted to think, it has nothing to do with merit. Either in an absolute sense or even in a relative sense, it has nothing to do with merit over against how we compare to other people. The fact that God has conferred on us this wonderful honor has nothing to do with our Midwestern work ethic. It has nothing to do with our generous, charitable contributions. It has nothing to do with how principled we are and how stalwart and steadfast we are in holding to the truth of God's word. It has nothing to do with how open and welcoming and embracing we are from people with, toward people who believe differently from us. It has absolutely nothing to do with how well we happen to think we're taking care of the environment whether that's by driving a hybrid each and every day or helping control the white-tailed deer population in southern Wisconsin each fall. It has nothing to do with the fact that we are pro-life or pro-traditional marriage or how vocal we have been about any social cause this past year. It has nothing to do with any of those things. God wants us to trust him and believe him when he tells us about the honor that he has conferred on us, but he wants us to know that it's all by grace. It contradicts everything we think we know about merit. 
Finally, what God says in these verses through Gabriel contradicts everything we think we know about nature. Maybe you were waiting for me to get to that part of the story. In a world like ours where we are reminded frequently to listen to the science and follow the data, the idea of a virgin giving birth to a child sort of jumps off the page in a story like this. And yet the idea of a virgin conceiving and giving birth is not just something that sounds like gibberish in a day like ours. It's something that sounded like gibberish in Mary's day too. Mary was no dummy. Mary knew full well where babies came from. And so she asked Gabriel, how can this possibly be since I am a virgin? And in fact, Gabriel validated Mary's confusion with his response. Gabriel said, there's not going to be anything normal anything natural, anything scientific about this. This is going to be a miracle. It is through the power of the Holy Spirit that you will conceive and give birth to a child. God wanted Mary to trust him when he said that she would bear a, tri- a child even though what God said contradicted everything she knew about nature. And again, it, it still does. It shouldn't surprise us one bit that the same Holy Spirit who was active at the birth of Christ, was also very active at the birth of Christ's church. For the Son of God to make his home in human hearts is no less of a miracle than him making his home in Mary's womb. For people like us to become children of God is not something that we can observe under a microscope. It's not something that we can replicate in a laboratory. It's not something that we can reason or logic or think our way through. It is a miracle. All we do is open a book and read and hear the words that are found in it. All we do is sprinkle some water and say a few words over a child newly born. All we do is set a table where the menu is as simple as bread and wine, and yet through those very means, God promises that that's how he draws near to us. That's how he dwells with us. That's how he forgives our sins. That's how he adopts us into his family, and that is how he transforms our hearts. God wants us to trust him, when he tells us that the Holy Spirit is still doing miracles among us, even though what he says contradicts everything we think we know about nature. I warned you that much of what God says, including in these verses, often sounds like gibberish. And so it's no wonder that at the conclusion of a year like the one that we've had, we so often and so easily do what a lot of people in our world probably do. We kind of formulate in our heads our own assessments about why things have gone wrong, and we come up with our own determinations about what needs to happen in order for things to get right. And maybe the only difference is that because, of course, we're, we're people of faith, we, we take those determinations about what needs to happen, and, and we make that our prayer list. We make that our wish list of things that we're asking God for this Christmas. The problem is that with all of those assessments of what's wrong and determinations about what needs to happen to make it right, we are so often stuck within this framework of what makes sense to us, what is natural to us about how power and how merit and how nature work in our world. We just simply assume 
that in order for things to get better, it will require the right politicians to be in office and the right legislation to be passed. We just assume that in order for things to get better, we need to divide the world into two groups, the good guys and the bad guys, and the good guys need to be rewarded and the bad guys need to be punished. We just assume that if science and medicine can keep advancing, that if we just do a good enough job of taking care of our environment, then eventually this planet on which we live will finally transform into this warm and caring and nurturing mother that will never do to us what has happened in this year again. All the while, we never bother to look at what God has actually said and allow that to fill up our Christmas wish list. Never bother to look at what God has promised and say, God, this is what I want you to do. Keep your word, keep your promises. Instead, we fill up that Christmas, Christmas wish list with ideas and plans and determinations of our own. Really making it clear that the only people we trust are ourselves. Well, thankfully, when God tells us to trust him, Whatever he says, even when it sounds like gibberish, he does not ask us to do so blindly. The angel Gabriel had more that he wanted to say to Mary. After he told her that this would be a miracle, Gabriel literally said to Mary, look, behold, there is something that I want you to see. You don't have to go into this completely blind. There's something I want to show you. And specifically, Gabriel wanted Mary to see that her relative, Elizabeth, a woman who was thought to be barren and who was well past the age of childbearing, she too was going to have a child. Now I realize that in a, a skeptical world like ours, an elderly woman having a child doesn't quite rise to the same level as a virgin having a child. But let me ask you this, why would either one be less miraculous than the other? Why is it any more of a miracle for a child to be conceived in the absence of a male reproductive cell than it would be in the absence of a female reproductive cell? Why would either one be any less of a miracle? And most importantly, why would either one be too difficult for God? That's why the, the dialogue between Gabriel and Mary concludes the way that it does. Gabriel says to Mary, for no word of God will ever fail. And Mary responds, may your word to me be fulfilled. The important word in, in that brief exchange is actually the word, word. And the word that's used there does not refer to a message that one person speaks and the hearer understands. Instead, it refers to a message that one person speaks, that another person kind of hears the sounds that are filling the air but does not at all grasp or understand or, or get it. And so it's not as if, after what Gabriel said, the light bulb suddenly went on for Mary, as if she finally got it, as if this all made sense. No, it was still far too wonderful, far too marvelous and far too miraculous for her to comprehend. And yet, because Gabriel had pointed to the miracle that God was doing in the life of Elizabeth, Mary could know with absolute certainty, Mary had evidence that God could be trusted. And so that's why her response is so perfect. May your 
word. I, I might not understand it. I might not grasp it or get it, but may your word, may the things coming out of your mouth, Gabriel, be fulfilled. God's going to say a lot of things that don't seem to make sense, and yet we can trust him no matter what. I don't know about you, but I don't know a single other person about whom that is true. And 2020 has certainly proven it. Think back to all the things that we've heard that have now been proven to be incorrect. All the predictions that were proven false, all the pieces of advice that were later reversed. Don't wear a mask. It doesn't help. Wear a mask at all times. It can save people's lives. Stay inside as much as you possibly can. Go outside as much as you possibly can. What we really need to do here is just flatten the curve. What we really need to do is stop the spread. The virus is going to spread if we reopen schools. The virus isn't going to spread if we reopen schools. There's going to be a vaccine by the end of the year. There is never going to be a vaccine by the end of the year. And don't mistake any of that as criticism. It's not. I am more than happy to assume that all of our elected leaders and public health officials have been doing the very best that they possibly can in absolutely unprecedented circumstances. And yet this year has proven beyond a shadow of a doubt that the wisest words of the smartest people in all the world fail every day. And of course, because the internet is forever, at the end of the year, we can go back and we can actually see all of those failed predictions and wrong-headed pieces of advice and sort of laugh and see how many times it has happened. Well, you know what else is forever? God even says it. The word of the Lord is forever. Never once has God gone back on his word and revised something. Never once has God gone back and updated a prediction that he's made. It's all still just sitting there for anyone to take a look at and see. More importantly, it's all still just sitting there for you to find. For you to find every single marvelous, wonderful, miraculous thing that God has promised he plans to do for you. And so find them. Find each and every one of them, knowing that no matter how ridiculous it seems, no matter how much it seems like gibberish, it will happen. God will do it. If God has promised something to us, we know that we can take that promise and shove it right back in God's face. We can take every single thing that he has promised, go running back to him, slam it down on the table and said, this, God, this is what I want you to do for me. Keep your word. Do what you've said. And he will. He always, always will. Yes, what he says to us often will sound like gibberish. But what he says to us will never fail. Amen.